Good afternoon and welcome to Forest Fires. My name is John Clark. In this podcast, I always try and shed some hope and some light into the darkness that is addiction. Occasionally, though, we have to give some attention to the darkness that exists around us. Addiction is a plague. There is simply no way to avoid this reality. We can pretend that it doesn't exist, but it won't make it go away. We can dress drugs and alcohol up in fancy bottles or hide them behind festive labels. But the reality is, now more than ever, these substances, legal and illegal, that are available on every corner, they're killing us in record numbers. In the first year of the COVID pandemic, from April of 2020 to April of 2021, more than 100,000 people died of drug overdoses. This is more than a 30% increase from the prior year. That number is higher than deaths related to car accidents and gun violence combined during that same time period. We can't blame everything on COVID, though. Drug overdoses have more than doubled since 2015. According to some studies, fentanyl is now one of the top causes of death in the United States. That means that it has surpassed or is quickly on track to surpass heart disease, cancer, and other diseases. This is shocking in that 15 years ago, This is a drug that I'd never even heard of. Now it's in everything, and it seems to be everywhere. The DEA recently released a report that indicated that almost 50% of narcotics that they have confiscated contained at least 2 milligrams of fentanyl. 2 milligrams of fentanyl is considered to be a lethal dose. 1 kilogram of fentanyl has the potential to kill 500,000 people. In the year 2020, more than 10,000 pounds of fentanyl was seized. That's almost 4,536 kilograms, which, according to the science, has the ability to kill in excess of 2 billion people. And that's just what was seized, not what actually made it through. The DEA and Homeland Security has admitted that they believe that they are only impacting about 10% of the potential supply that is coming into the United States yearly. Meaning that if we take the numbers that we've been given already, there is enough fentanyl produced and distributed each year to kill every single living person on this planet. If that doesn't scare the hell out of you, there may be something wrong with you. Interestingly, up to this point, I've only been talking about drugs and drug overdoses. I haven't even mentioned alcohol-related deaths during the same time period. As of 2019, the year prior to the beginning of the COVID pandemic, it was reported that alcohol consumption was responsible for an average of 85,000 deaths per year in the United States. Our government has been less than forthcoming about the total number of alcohol-related deaths since the beginning of the COVID pandemic, but by all accounts, the number will be markedly higher. Even using a conservative estimate, it's believed that death rates in the year 2020 due to alcohol consumption will exceed 100,000. That number is equal to or in excess of the drug overdose rates, yet these substances continue to be readily available at every grocery store and convenience store that you come across. Death has become such a prevalent part of the world within which we live that many of us have simply tuned it out. When your daughter, your son, your mother, or your father is the one whose life has been cut short because of alcohol or drugs, 
You simply can't tune it out anymore. Most people don't want to think about it, and I don't blame them. But there is a 9-11 attack happening every single day in this country, and we're ignoring it. With these ever-increasing death tolls, you would think that we would do something about it. But we aren't. Not really. We give these statistics lip service and talk about how bad they are, and then we go back to our day-to-day lives and pretend that it can't happen to us or to our families. We continue to be inundated with advertisements, music, and memes that suggest drug use and excessive alcohol consumption is somehow attractive. The long and short of it is this. In 2020, and likely in 2021, more than 200,000 American men, women, and children died as a direct result of drugs or alcohol. Before you jump up on your political soapbox, please understand, this has nothing to do with your politics. Drugs and alcohol don't care who you voted for in the last presidential election cycle. They don't care if you lean left or right, and they don't care if you don't like hearing about it anymore. Drugs and alcohol destroy lives, orphan children, and send people to their graves. You don't have to like that, but you damn well better start opening your eyes to see what's happening all around you. With the size and proportions of this crisis that we're in, you would think that the stigmas associated with addiction would be a thing of the distant past, but they're not. Far from it, actually. As stated, untreated drug and alcohol abuse is the direct cause or a contributing cause to hundreds of thousands of American deaths every single year. While we can read the death tolls, what these numbers don't show is the impact that it has on other people, such as children, family, friends, employers, and coworkers. The impact is enormous, and the cost levied upon others is almost incalculable. As time and medical science has progressed, we have now been able to develop more effective tools and medications for opioid and alcohol use disorders. Sadly, though, many of these tools, modalities, and medications aren't being utilized to the extent that they should be. Many people that could benefit the most from these advances in addiction medication and science aren't even seeking them out. Why? One unavoidable explanation for this is that there continues to exist an overwhelming stigma around drugs and alcohol addiction. Stigma is simply defined as a set of negative beliefs that a group holds about a topic or a group of people. Stigma is a major cause of discrimination and exclusion, and it contributes to the abuse of human rights across the globe. Stigma is rarely based on facts, but rather on assumptions, preconceptions, and generalizations. Over the last several years, a great deal of progress has been made in demystifying mental illness, and thus the stigma for seeking out treatment has decreased. Now, don't get me wrong, the stigma still exists, but it has gotten dramatically better than it was just 20 years ago. In the house that I grew up in, depression or any form of mental illness was scoffed at. If I or anyone made the fail mistake of saying that they were depressed, my father would shut it down and tell us that we needed to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or get over it. The irony in all of this is that my father, the man that scoffed at all of this, he himself suffered from undiagnosed and untreated mental health issues. I truly believe that had he sought out help, his life would have been longer, or at the very least more enjoyable. While these archaic and prejudicial perspectives on mental health treatment continue to exist, it has now become a topic that is more widely discussed, more willingly accepted, and thus more often treated.
While progress has been made in the areas of mental health, little progress has been made in minimizing the stigmas associated with drug addiction and alcoholism. While the American Medical Association has long determined that alcoholism and addiction are diseases, there are countless members of our society, our judicial system, and even our medical community that continue to believe that they are moral failings and not medical ones. People with addiction continue to be blamed for their disease. While the average person may be given some level of understanding for not comprehending that addiction and alcoholism are complex brain diseases, it seems far less understandable that members of our own healthcare community share this idea. Healthcare providers that see a patient's drug or alcohol addiction as their own fault or as a product of their own moral failings lead to substandard care and create roadblocks for those that need treatment the most. Countless studies have shown that in the emergency rooms across this country, patients that present with acute intoxication or withdrawal symptoms are denied services or are expelled from these facilities because the staff and underlying policies are fearful that these patients are unpredictable, dangerous, or that they are simply exhibiting drug-seeking behaviors. It's only natural that a person that has shared that they have a history of drug or alcohol addiction would internalize these stigma and will in many cases avoid seeking help for fear of the judgment that they see so often. Stigma doesn't stop at the emergency room doors, though. Those that suffer with addiction and or alcoholism may face the same or worse levels of judgment from their own family or friend circle. Addiction is a disease that thrives in isolation and that feeds upon our own shame. When our own family judges us and ostracizes us for our disease, we are often left in a vicious cycle. Recovery from any substance abuse disorder is greatly benefited by community and by reconnecting with your family and friends. But as noted, the underlying stigma often keeps us from seeking out the very relationships that could help us the most. We live in a society where millions of Americans are dependent upon drugs or alcohol, and only a small percentage receive treatment at a treatment facility. In fact, studies show that less than 10% of those that need drug and alcohol treatment are actually able to obtain it. People who experience stigma regarding their drug or alcohol use are less likely to seek treatment, and this results in economic, social, and medical cost increases. In the United States, costs associated with untreated addiction exceed $600 billion per year. People who suffer with drug or alcohol addiction may feel pushed to the edges of society and may lose touch with their community and family and experience profound loneliness and isolation. When a person doesn't have strong social ties or a person to talk to, they are less likely to reach out for health care or for treatment. They are also more likely to be depressed and may hide their drug or alcohol use from health care providers to avoid the stigma and addiction shaming that exists. The mental health consequences of isolation create a vicious cycle leading to even more drug use and to further isolation. Perceived stigma can also be internalized. People who struggle with addiction can view themselves as deviants. This internal mindset can severely impact their self-esteem and their self-worth. Evidence of the prevalence of the stigmas against addiction can be found everywhere. Stigma exists on social media, from health care providers, from family, from the judicial system, from friends, and from the public as a whole. 
When it comes to stigmatizing those who have battled the drug addiction or substance use disorder, it's not the job of society to remind them of the mistakes that they've made that they are all too familiar with already. Yet, that's exactly what our society does. The natural enemy of stigma is education, and the fertile ground upon which stigma grows is ignorance. Remember, ignorance is not stupidity. It's not the inability to learn. It is simply the absence of information. Because of this, ignorance can be cured and stigma can be lessened. Many people that carry this ignorance do so because they lack first-hand knowledge or experience of addiction, or they don't know anyone personally that has a substance abuse disorder. Additionally, many people have been miseducated and have been given a simplistic view of addiction and believe that it's a matter of willpower rather than an actual diagnosable disease. To break this stigma regarding addiction and those impacted by it, there needs to be a societal awakening, a shift of attitudes, if you will. While there needs to be a societal awakening, this awakening can only come about through education. While those of us in the recovery community are doing our best to change the perspective of the addict and the alcoholic and are doing our part to show that recovery works, we cannot do it alone. For the stigma of alcoholism and addiction to change, we need our government, social media, health care, educational establishments, medical organizations, and businesses to help us in our cause. As I stated earlier in this podcast, the cost in lives and in dollars lost associated with this disease is staggering. There exists ample motivation for those entities and organizations to get on board and to help shed some light on the ignorance of the stigma. Will this stigma change? It's hard to say for sure. I can assure you that the stigmas associated with drug and alcohol addiction will not change easily, and they will not change quickly. We will have to stay diligent, and we will have to continue to work hard to change the social narrative in this country. Maintaining the stigma is easy, and for many people, they simply don't want to do the work to educate themselves. It's easy to judge an addict or an alcoholic, and it's easy to assume that someone doesn't want to change just because they're addicted to drugs or alcohol. As members of the recovery community, our part in all of this is twofold. We must continue to live our programs of recovery and be examples of change and redemption. The second part of our task is to quit shaming each other. We have to stop looking at other members of the recovery community as lost causes or judging them because they sin differently than we do. Just because you're a good old-fashioned alcoholic, you're no better than the heroin addict or the fentanyl addict. Just because you haven't relapsed, it makes you no better than the person that's relapsed a hundred times. If we continue to divide and judge ourselves, society will continue to do the same. Remember that 12-step rooms are safe havens for the sick. Quit pushing people out of the rooms because they don't use the same language and keywords that you use. Does it really matter if a person calls themselves an alcoholic or an addict? They're sick and they're asking for help. Anyone that walks into a 12-step room for the first time is doing something incredibly uncomfortable. I don't care if they're there because their probation officer is making them, their wife or their husband has given them an ultimatum, or they have had a personal awakening that has brought them there. They need to be there, and they deserve to be in a place without judgment. We have to stop believing that recovery is an exclusive fraternity that has certain passwords and catchphrases. It's not. 
It's an oasis in the midst of a desert, and it's our job to give those that seek our help the life-saving water of recovery. By sharing our stories, by sharing our hope, and by sharing the evidence of our redemption, we can change the societal perspective of the addict and the alcoholic. We can change the mindset that we are just drunks and junkies, and we can start showing people that we are husbands and wives, sons and daughters, and that we are worth saving. As always, thank you for tuning in to Forest Fires. Reach out and help another alcoholic or addict today. Lift them up and be a light in the darkness for those that are still struggling. Reach out, ask for help, and help those that seek the same. And as always, stay reachable, stay teachable, and stay humble. Thank you.